Welcome to Talk World Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk World Radio, we're discussing APAC, the American-Israeli Political Action Committee, and its financial power over U.S. elections. Richard Silverstein is an independent journalist who writes the blog Tikkun Olam, which exposes the secrets of the Israeli national security state. He also publishes at Jacobin Magazine, Middle East Eye, and The New Arab. You can check out richardsilverstein.com. Richard, thank you for coming on Talk World Radio. Great to be with you, David. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on, for doing the work you're doing. Uh, for anyone who's been living under a rock for a while, uh, what is APAC? APAC is a political lobbying outfit that uh, was started in 1951 by an American Jew, a Zionist American Jew, and it was initially a very small one-person shop uh, that was attempting to be a liaison between Israel and its uh, leaders and the U.S. government. Uh, it's morphed into a huge operation with a $100 million-plus budget and scores of staff, and their job, uh, as they see it, is to lobby the U.S. government um, to put pressure, uh, ensuring that Israel's interests, as they define it, are uh, met and satisfied uh, from, the US point of, from the point of view of the U.S. government and U.S. relations with Israel. That includes uh, a very broad, uh, very broad set of, uh, of interests and um, agenda for them, which includes promoting uh, arms sales to Israel, like Iron Dome, uh, missile system. It includes uh, opposing uh, progressive Democrats who are viewed as being hostile, as they define it, towards Israel and too close to Palestinian, uh, the issues of Palestinian rights. They also don't like uh, anyone in Congress who supports a two-state solution, although that is supposed to be the, uh, the policy of both the U.S. government and Israel. Uh, it no longer is the policy of Israel that we can get into at another point, maybe. Um, but the way in which APEC has been ex particularly pernicious uh, lately is that um, they have gone from uh, what they call a bipartisan organization with Democrats and Republican donors and candidates uh, that they support to uh, really being one that is hostile to the Democratic Party. And the Democrats are viewed in Israel with great suspicion and great skepticism because they are the a party that is more willing to exert pressure on Israel, more willing to hold back on approving uh, policies that Israel is engaged in in the West Bank, uh, more critical of that than the Republicans. And basically, the right wing, the far right wing of the Israeli uh, state, the government, um, has given up on American Jews and also uh, given up on Democrats. So as part of that, they've created political action committees. They are not a, a political action committee in, in themselves, even though the, the PAC part of their name implies that. Um, they claim in the past never to have given any money as an organization to any candidate. And that has really now, for the first time, fallen by the wayside. They've created their own PAC with $11.5 million. They've created the uh, Democratic Majority for Israel, 
which has somewhere around $10 million in, the, uh, in this campaign cycle, and they've created the United Democracy Project. There's also a fourth pack that seems a bit smaller, but so they have a total of four packs that they've created, and so far in this election cycle, they've spent about $30 million on maybe eight to 10 races. And some of the pr more prominent one that your viewers, listeners, may be aware of is the Donna, Donna Edwards race in Maryland, which uh, she was defeated because APAC viewed her, she's an African-American progressive female candidate. They viewed her as being, uh, not being willing to vote in favor of um, the boycott divestment sanctions movement um, is viewed by Israel because it promotes boycott and divestment of uh, investment in Israel, is viewed it especially existentially uh, threatening to Israel. So there's a campaign to, uh, to, 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 to be anti-BDS in Congress, calling on Congress to pass legislation that would uh, punish any company uh, or any state that uh, supported BDS in any way. So Democrats view this as a, uh, a violation of the First Amendment, right to free speech, and they have refused, many Democrats have refused to support such legislation. So any Democrat who does not support the anti-BDS legislation is a target. So Donna Edwards was a target. She had been ahead, way ahead in her race, and um, she lost by a huge amount uh, on election day. Today, I believe Andy Levin in Michigan is, uh, is in a race against Haley Stevens, two Democrats who are put into the same, uh, the same district because they're redistricting. Um, he comes from the Levin political dynasty in, in Michigan. He is Jewish, um, but he put, a, he put forth a uh, piece of legislation that would support a two-state solution between the Israelis and Palestinians. Therefore, he crossed a APAC red line. They've spent $3 million on his race to defeat him. They spent $8 million to defeat Donna Edwards. They've been involved in races in California. Um, they uh, opposed a Muslim American congressional candidate in North Carolina. Um, they've opposed gay candidates uh, in, in Massachusetts. They opposed a gay candidate, not because they oppose LBGT, LGBTQ rights, um, although, um, and they, another aspect that's important to get into here is these PACs don't mention Israel in any of the uh, smear campaign ads, the attack ads that they use against candidates. They know that the voters in these districts don't care about Israel. They don't care about Israel. Um, they only care about domestic issues. So they try to create wedges between the two Democratic primary candidates where they say that the, uh, the one they oppose, um, they, they come up with all these crazy ideas about what types of things they um, have done wrong. Um, and another candidate, by the way, Henry Cuellar in Texas uh, against uh, Cisneros, who's a progressive candidate, um, they supported the only Democrat in Congress who's anti-abortion, uh, as opposed to Jessica Cisneros, who's a progressive Democrat. She lost, by the way, by just a, a hair. Um, they spent nearly a million dollars in a small Texas district to defeat uh, Cisneros. So um, it's pernicious. It's using money to buy uh, seats in Congress, and uh, it's a perversion of the democratic system. 
when you when you said arms sales is one of the interests, I just wanted to clarify that this often means arms gifts. <laughs> that is, here's billions of dollars of free money, buy weapons from the United States with it, uh, which is not exactly arms sales in the traditional sense, right? I mean, right, it's right, right. kind of an extra good deal when it's free. Uh, and when you say they've given up on Democrats, uh, but all the races we're discussing are actually Democrats versus Democrats. So they're not just funding Republicans and they're not just funding who they think will lose to a Republican because these districts are completely gerrymandered anyway. They they have a preference for certain Democrats over other Democrats, right? Right. So what's important to note here, absolutely right, is that, um, first of all, they're they're interfering in Democratic primary races. The point is to get rid of a too progressive, too progressive candidate who will be hostile, again, in their terms, to Israel and too close to the Palestinian. So they want to basically anesthetize the Democratic Party. They want to um, they have been terribly alarmed by the squad. Let's put it that way. They are eight progressive candidates, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, Ilan Omar and several others, Ayanna Presley. Um, they are too vocal uh, in supporting Palestine, and that's why they are targets. But they saw this as a potential movement that would really harm Israel's interests. So that's why they've gone into these other races, and it's to show Democrats that if you're too far to the left on foreign policy, Middle East issues, we're going to chop you off at the legs, uh, going to cut off your political head and get rid of you so that we have a quiescent Democratic Party that goes along with everything that APAC wants, even though, again, APAC has not couched these races and its, uh, its support in terms of Israel. It's used all these domestic issues. The other important issue is they're using Republican billionaire donors to create and support these $30 million in, in uh, spending for these races. So you've got Paul Singer, the Wall Street hedge fund manager, You've got Bernie Marcus, who founded Home Depot. You've got a woman named Stacey Schusterman with an Oklahoma oil fortune, who all of these are Republican, dyed-in-the-wool Republicans, not moderate Republicans, who support, uh, you know, who support the PACs. But let's also be aware that they have supported 150 Republican candidates who voted against approving uh, Biden's uh, election on uh, January 6th. So they're much more heavily invested in the Republican Party, but they have tried to basically destroy the progressive wing of the Democratic Party by using Republican money. That's what I mean by it being particularly pernicious. And none of these voters in these districts understand what's going on behind the scenes. And that's the problem. It's sort of like the Wizard of Oz where the wizard is behind the curtain and, you know, all these voices are coming out um, and, and you have the people who don't really know that the wizard is behind the curtain. That's the way that APAC uh, does its politics. And to, how does APAC compare to other campaign funders, industries and PACs uh, that put millions of dollars into U.S. elections? Some favor one party a little more than the other. Um, and to what extent is APAC a U.S. organization and to what extent an Israeli organization? Should it be a foreign lobbyist? Is this foreign money? Uh, and, and if it's not foreign money, is it 
money being directed by a foreign agenda. Uh, and if any of this in any way had anything whatsoever to do with Russia, wouldn't the, the entire United States uh, political establishment be absolutely freaking out, tearing down everything, exploding everything, biggest story in the history of the world? What's the difference between Israel and Russia? Well, that's a lot of really good questions. I'll try to answer them uh, as best I can, and you'll remind me if I uh, forget to approach one of them. But um, uh, the fact is that APAC is, uh, should be registered as a foreign agent because they are supporting Israel's interests. Um, they don't uh, directly get funding from foreign uh, sources, um, and Israel itself wouldn't be a font for a lot of money anyway, uh, because it's a small country of 9 million people. So there are very wealthy people, obviously, in Israel. There are some Israeli Americans who live in the United States who are extremely active in these kinds of efforts. Chaim Saban is a name that you may be familiar with, um, billionaire, uh, uh, Hollywood you know, producer type. Barnon Milchen is another Hollywood producer produced uh, Pretty Women and other uh, popular films. These are um, Israelis who've come to the United States and created careers here, but are responsible for both spending and raising tons of money here. So the donors are uh, American citizens, largely American Jews, with a far right uh, agenda in terms of US domestic politics. Um, so uh, APAC is promoting a pro-Israel agenda. So if, as you said, if we had what went on with the NRA where they had Russian agents basically trying to uh, successfully infiltrate the NRA um, on behalf of whatever Russian pro-Russian agenda they could define, um, th this would be a huge issue. The reason it isn't is that APAC and all the other Israel lobby organizations in the United States, uh, these names may or may not be familiar to the American Jewish Committee, the Anti-Defamation League, um, I'm trying to think of some others, but those are the main ones. They have invested decades in promoting a pro-Israel agenda, both in the American Jewish community, but now also increasingly outside the American Jewish community going to Christian evangelicals, which they see as a huge uh, a niche for them politically. Um, and um, American Jews, by the way, along with Democrats, is a sector that Israel has largely uh, dispensed with because American Jews are, voted, are, are viewed as Democrats. So, um, and we largely are, 80 to 90% of the Jewish vote always goes to the Democrat and the presidential elections. and almost always in the uh, general elections for uh, Senate and, and House. So um, you've got this strange phenomenon where American Jews have been supporting Israel and supporting AIPAC for, you know, since 1950s. And now basically Israel sees us all as its enemy um, and, and has turned to Christian evangelicals. And you can also see Israel turning to far right-wing figures in Europe, like Viktor Orban, like the Polish uh, sort of white supremacist uh, uh, government in, in Poland um, and uh, supporting sort of extreme authoritarian rulers. And um, the, the response, by, by the way, from the white supremacists in the United States and elsewhere is that they see Israel as a bastion of 
Jewish supremacy in the case of Israel, but Jewish supremacy and white supremacy have a lot in common in terms of how that plays out in Israel. So we're sort of going uh, a little bit uh, askance from talking about domestic politics, but um, I think this is kind of important to understand these global uh, phenomenons as they play out in the United States. But if you could shut down the the spending on U.S. elections by any organizations that were foreign controlled, foreign driven or foreign funded, you would still have a completely corrupt uh, election system in the United States with billions and billions of dollars, uh, a lot of it coming from uh, very wealthy corporate interests and so forth. Uh, how does how does APACS influence compare to the influence of the banks and the weapons dealers and the chemical companies and everybody else who's free to dump their money into the elections in a good homemade patriotic manner? Well, APAC, APAC, first of all, uh, even though it's involved in domestic politics, its real interests are foreign policy. So it's if not foreign based, but it uh, comes from a foreign policy agenda. Most of these, uh, almost all of these uh, lobby groups, PACs that you're talking about, um, are supporting domestic business interests, the Chamber of Commerce, um, Google, um, Facebook, they all have their lobbyists in DC, but they're lobbying for their own uh, business interests. Um, and um, so, so APAC is, uh, talk about other important major lobbying groups. We've got the NRA, we've got the Chamber of Commerce. Um, those are uh, very powerful. Uh, lobby groups and PACs, but they're very narrowly focused. I mean, you could say APAC is narrowly focused too, but um, in a sense, it's got much broader interest. And the other thing is that the lobby groups, uh, the PACs don't necessarily go out and target individual candidates. And if they do, they don't do it broadly. Um, Facebook and Google are spending money to lobby members of Congress who are in power. They don't go out and try to get involved in races like APAC is in terms of um, sculpting or shaping the uh, the House Caucus uh, so that it's got a broad uh, group of people that are going to be supportive of its agenda. So it's a particularly intrusive kind of involvement in U.S. politics that APAC is doing. It's very systematic, very comprehensive and strategic in a sense. Um, so they're not only lobbying for the weapon systems you mentioned um, and for anti-BDS legislation, they're actually going out and saying, we need to have a house in general of 435 people where mo as many of them as we can will vote with us on every issue that we tell them to. And, and it's it's a pretty low bar, right? I mean, you mentioned the squad members who everybody hears about on TV and social media, but somebody like Andy Levin uh, had never done anything dramatic for peace or Palestinian rights or disarmament or or somebody would have heard of him before hearing that APAC's targeting him, therefore we must defend him. Uh, I, I mean, it's just ever so slightly out of line and you're targeted, right? Yeah, if you, uh, I'm an American Jew who's been uh, involved in uh, the Israel-Palestine issue for decades, right? So I know what it was like in 1967, 1970, going up to here. 
Um, in the past, you could have a position that would be liberal and supportive of both Israel and Palestine. You might support a two-state solution. Um, that is like as a, American as apple pie, if I can use that phrase. Um, very uh, low bar, like you said. Um, right now, the political discourse is talking about two-state solution being dead. Um, Israel totally rejects the idea, so we're talking now about a one-state solution. Um, we don't need to go into what that would mean because that's going into another area, but that's farther to the left than two-state solution. So Andy Levin proposed a bill that would be called the Two States Act. What was the crime in the bill? It would embrace the Bernie Sanders concept that Israel, that aid to Israel should be um, couched in such a way that if Israel violates U.S. policy in the settlements, if it creates too many new settlements, which we view as uh, opposing U.S. policy, that um, we might reduce our aid incrementally, depending on Israel's violation of our of our uh, policies. That is viewed like that's a f uh, four alarm fire in terms of uh, APAC and in terms of Israel. They view these things as existential threats to the state of Israel, which is nonsense. But um, these people are not like flaming left-wing radicals who are supporting uh, the destruction of the state of Israel or anything uh, remotely like that. And even the squad, even Rashida Tlaib, who is Palestinian-American, um, she doesn't support a two-state solution, but she uh, that's because she has a Palestinian grandmother who's living in the West Bank. So um, they view Rashida Tlaib as the devil incarnate. Ilan Omar, devil incarnate. Why? Because she's Muslim. Rashid al-Tlaib is Muslim. Um, so we've got Islamophobia, we've got homophobia that I mentioned, the uh, targeting of gay candidates. So you've got candidates like, uh, not candidates, but you've got members of Congress like Rashid al-Tlaib in, in Michigan, Ilan Omar in Minnesota. They're opposed not just because they are too vocal about Palestinian rights, but because they're Muslim Americans. Um, you've got a candidate in North Carolina who ran in a primary who is a Muslim American, would have been the first Muslim American in the House from North Carolina. Uh, she was defeated also in North Carolina. So um, they, they, they're misogynist in terms of opposing a lot of female candidates. They're racist in terms of opposing African-American candidates. They're homophobic in terms of the uh, Massachusetts race in which they opposed a gay candidate. Um, and they're even opposed to Jewish candidates, which is the craziest part of this. Um, they, I mentioned Annie Levin, but in San Diego, there was a liberal Jewish candidate, uh, Sarah Jacobs, whose uh, father founded Qualcomm. And um, she was running against a candidate that APAC recruited who was Hispanic American, but more conservative. So luckily for Sarah Jacobs, she could use her own money to counter every attack ad that APAC put up uh, against her to smear her. So she won her race, but a lot of these candidates don't have that kind of money and they lose their races. We're talking about uh, Donna Edwards and Andy Levin. All of them can't match. Um, they're not Bernie Sanders. Bernie could match it because he's got this huge uh, following throughout the country. But yeah. these candidates can't do that. And there's another race in Pennsylvania that I should mention, which is Summer Lee, a progressive African-American woman. They put up a candidate against her. She won by the smallest, the thinnest of margin because of the millions of dollars that are spent there to buy the elections. 
Yeah. And and what do those dollars buy? Do they buy advertising on people's televisions? Uh, and is one possible solution uh, educating people in the skills of withstanding stupid television ads? Uh, or is the solution a, a systemic uh, reform to our election system? What What is it that needs to be done? We need to revoke Citizens United. Um, I know that's going to be a hard uh, hill to climb. But Citizens United has poisoned American elections and basically destroyed the democratic process where you have unlimited campaign cash going into these uh, races. If you talk about Sheldon Adelson, uh, the former uh, the deceased uh, gambling mag magnate from Las Vegas, I think he invested over $100 million in the Trump campaign um, just so that they would move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and, and other things, obviously, too. But um, Citizens United has destroyed our campaign system. So before, at least, you had this very, very low bar, as you mentioned earlier, for um, regulating uh, campaign spending. Now you have no bar at all. It's, the bar is gone completely. So that would be one uh, thing that we could do. And the other is it's going to be even harder to do this, which is educating the electorate to how these PACs destroy the democratic process. So the problem with that is that you not only have to educate people about the issues in the race and why a progressive candidate is better than a moderate candidate, but you also have to educate people about how this process works and what's going on behind the scenes and what APAC is doing and how it chooses the issues that it focuses on um, and, and how it's trying to fool you by leaving out the, um, the Israel side of of, of its agenda and point out when it happens in the legislative process how those two are, are linked. That's a really incredibly difficult thing to do because you and I have been in politics for God knows how long. We kind of understand the implications of one thing happening here and another thing happening way over here. The average voter doesn't have the time, the energy, or the inclination to do that. So we've got really an uphill uh, battle going on. With just a couple minutes left, and I know this is crazy, but why is it so difficult for people to simply get rid of their televisions and look at the candidates' websites? Their websites uh, are usually fairly revealing and straightforward and short and simplistic. Uh, you can see what one person at least claims they're for and the other claims they're for. There are differences. Uh, well, I mean, why can't people turn the noise box off uh, it doesn't require any particular skills. Well, you and I have the political viewpoints and agenda and analysis that we have, which is probably fairly sophisticated. We spend a lot of time doing the things that you're talking about, going to websites and, and stuff like that. The average voter has got all sorts of issues and agendas. They've got kids, they've got a job, they've got to worry about putting food on the table, and, and they don't have the time to do this. So, and, and let's not- They line to vote, just in the three minutes they're in line to vote, that's it. They go to the easiest thing that they can find. They're used to going to social media, they're used to spending time on Facebook. That's where the candidates invest their money. Millions of dollars invested by APAC in Facebook ads. For example, so people are used to social media. That's where you're going to go. It's the easiest. It's like a, a, a water. It flows downhill at the easiest uh, way that it can get there. 
And that's the way people are, unfortunately. Well, education may be one long-term solution, but we do need others, including getting rid of Citizens United uh, and other election reforms. We've been speaking with Richard Silverstein. You can find him at richardsilverstein.com. Richard, thank you for everything you're doing and for coming on Talk World Radio. It's been my pleasure, David. Thank you. This is Talk World Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talkworldradio.org. Talk World Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way.